We come to a turning point in John's Gospel. Uh, up till now, Jesus has been interacting with the crowds. He's been interacting with the Pharisees, teachers of the law who've been trying to get at him. Uh, but now in these next chapters, from 13 through to 17, Jesus is alone with his disciples. He interacts with them. He has a few words to say at his uh, trial, a few more to those who uh, are, are um, crucifying him, uh, and then it's the death and resurrection. So here is a, a really important section that's beginning in this uh, gospel. In the other gospels, this chapter is about the Lord's Supper, but John doesn't mention it. John is interested in something else, and it's the something else we're going to concentrate on this morning. That something else, as we've seen, is dirty, smelly feet. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the ability to come here now in quietness and to learn from you. Help us to learn more about what you have to say for us and what we should do in response to what you tell us. Amen. Ever been caught with a towel on? You arrange for a tradie to come to your place at 10 o'clock. A miracle happens and he comes at 10 o'clock. <laughs> you thinking that he wouldn't be there till 11 still are in the shower. You hear the knock on the door, you know who it is, and you know that if you don't answer the door, he's going to go away and you'll have to wait quite a while for him to come back. So you go to the door with your towel on, embarrassed as you are. I remember once getting out of the bath at my place. I had three teenage girls and uh, that wasn't a problem. I could get out with my towel around my waist and walk to my bedroom, but I'd forgotten that my kids had invited their friends over that day. And there I was walking out of the bath, running into the children that i just taught at school. <laughs> In year 10. <laughs> Have you ever been caught with your towel off? You know, when you're going to the beach and you've just done that run across the sand, you've come to the car, you don't want to go to the change rooms, you're just going to do that trick where you put your towel around you and take off your cozies. You can do that, it's quite easy until the, the towel begins to slip and you make a grab for everything you can and lose it all. We don't usually associate towels with words like authority and power and greatness and yet that's what Jesus does, that's the connection that he draws in this passage. If you want to be great, says Jesus, towel up for service. We're going to look at uh, this passage in a bit of detail and we're going to just concentrate on these first uh, 17 verses. So if you've got your Bibles there, it would be great. I haven't got any um, fancy pictures up here besides towels. Uh, so the text will be in your Bible. So if you haven't looked at the text, that's where you find it. And I want to look at this passage under three headings. The heart of a servant, because that's what the passage is about, servanthood. Heart of a servant, the example of a servant, and then the challenge of a servant. So let's have a look at the, uh, the heart of a servant. Let me read verses 1 to 3 again. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
Uh, this section introduces us to what's about to take place. And with qu- three beautiful quick brush strokes, John paints the picture for us. The first one that he mentions is the Passover is near. Now, John doesn't mention feasts in his Gospels without some significance. Usually, the Jewish festival helps us understand something more about who Jesus is. And so it is with the Passover. Chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is the Passover lamb who's come to take away the sins of the world. Uh, It was at the Passover that Jesus spoke about destroying the temple and and bringing it back again. And we know that he's speaking about his uh, his own uh, death and resurrection. It was at the Passover that Jesus fed the 5,000 and spoke about them feeding on his body and blood and the confusion that that caused amongst those who were listening. But now he's back in Jerusalem and this is the final Passover, that final meal that he'll have with his friends. And he explains the meaning in an extraordinary way, which we'll see in a few minutes. The next brushstroke has to do with his reference to time. You'll notice there in verse 1 it says, uh, Jesus knew he was to leave the world uh, and uh, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world. Time is another key theme in John's Gospel. And you could do a whole sermon series on on just the the time element uh, as John refers to it. Uh, You might remember back in um, the wedding at Cana, and Jesus' mum comes up to him and says, look, they've got no wine. Jesus says, why do you disturb me? My time has not yet come. And later on, when uh, people are trying to uh, catch Jesus out, and he argues with them, and they actually want to seize him, uh, it says, uh, John records for us, uh, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And that's recorded twice in the Gospels, that uh, they couldn't do anything because his hour had not yet come. But now in the upper room with his disciples, uh, Jesus knows that the hour has come. It's time for Jesus to sacrifice himself for those he loved. The rolling stones were wrong. Time is not on our side. Time works against our mortality. And we only have to look in the mirror to know that. We can't control time, but Jesus is the maker and master of time which is great to know. He knows the Father's plan. He controls the situation, even though it appears in this chapter, as he interacts with the disciples and Judas, that there is a scheme afoot to kill him. Jesus is still in control of all that goes on, all the way through his crucifixion and the resurrection. And so the time has now come for Jesus to show his disciples what he's about to do and what is a right response from each of them. The third brushstroke, perhaps the most important in this section, again we see in verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Or, in other words, he loved them till the end. Back in chapter 10, Jesus had told the crowd that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And here in chapter 1, So in verse 1 of this same chapter, chapter 13, he says exactly the same thing. It gives us a picture of Jesus' heart. He loved them to the end. He's about to lay down his life for those he loves. So a servant's heart is a heart of love. If you haven't got a heart of love, then don't be involved in service. 
it'll just become a chore and a ritual. Max Lucado, in one of his books, writes about an incident in Turkey where a, a young woman and her child are buried under an earthquake. Uh, they're in an apartment block and uh, the, the apartments come down, they're, they're down the bottom floor, the rubble is on top. They can hear the rescuers above them, but it's dark down there and it's cold and it's damp, but there's no water, it's just cold and miserable. Uh, and uh, with the little child down there, the child gets quite hungry and thirsty. There's no food, uh, there's no water. Uh, and the child keeps on saying, Mummy, I'm thirsty. And this becomes like a, a refrain in a poem. She keeps on saying it and saying it. Eventually, after many hours, rescuers pull the, the pair out. They notice that the child is, is quite well, but the mum is, is pretty sick. Then they look at the mum's hands and they notice that each of the fingers is cut on every hand. And what she'd done is she'd found some shattered glass and she'd cut a finger and she'd poked it in the child's mouth and fed the child with her own blood. She was very weak, but the child was strong. Jesus is about to die and give his life and his blood for those he loves. And he asks them to pursue that same kind of love. He says it again in verse 34 and 35 of this chapter. If you turn over the page, you'll see it there. Um, chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's a genuine, authentic love. How do you get it? Well, you ask God to give it for you. If you haven't got that love, pray for it. God, I, I want to be increased in love, should be part of your prayers. I want to grow in love so that I might serve others. So a servant's heart has to be one that overflows in love. Secondly, we move on to uh, a servant's example. And the example we read about and we see here. Uh, Jesus is alone in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, his intimate friends, there are no crowds, no religious leaders, no one else watching. The disciples are reclining at the table. The tables would have been very low. If they were left, if they were right-handed, they would have laid down with their left hand on the table, their right hand used to uh, eat the food and drink the wine, and their legs are stretching out behind them. And we're told that during the meal, Jesus rises from where he is, so he stands up, he lays aside his garments, what he's wearing, wraps a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash their feet. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of servanthood a picture that graphically portrays the whole of Jesus' life, not just what's happening now, but his life from beginning to end. Uh, you see the full meaning in Philippians chapter 2. If you'd like to turn to chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, keep your finger in John, and uh, we read in verse 6 those well-known words, but you must think that uh, Paul had known this story when he wrote these words. Uh, your attitude should be the same as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's the big picture. This is what Jesus is portraying to his disciples. It's not just about washing feet because they're dirty. 
It's about cleansing and forgiveness and new life through his own death and resurrection. And so as he lays out this example before his disciples, he's saying, my life is dominated by service. Matthew records the same sort of thing. Matthew 20, you don't have to turn to this one, I'll just read it out to you. Uh, Jesus again says, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I can imagine in that uncomfortable quietness, the disciples could hear Jesus uh, with the water going around and, and uh, the gentle pouring of that water and the friction of the towel on their feet. And then Jesus comes as he moves along to a pair of size 13s, Peter's feet. And we read this uh, incident. It's fairly similar, isn't it, from what we know of Peter so far. Chapter 13, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, do you not realise what I'm doing? But later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. A washing was a servant's task. That was what was expected. And here's Jesus dressed as a, in a servant's towel. And Peter says, this is absurd. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, Jesus' answer in the last part of verse 8 is interesting, isn't it? Uh, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He's saying, look, Peter, old friend, uh, unless I, I wash your feet, we can't continue in a relationship. Peter's response, fairly typical, wash everything. Wash all over me. Do the big job. Uh, uh, Peter seems to be consistently confused, doesn't he, in the Gospels? Clarity comes later on after Pentecost for Peter. In verses 10 and 11, Jesus explains what he's done. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Of course, he's referring to Judas there. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. If you take a bath, you're cleansed. Uh, you don't need to, to be washed again. But when you walk around the street, you'll get dirty feet and you need to wash your feet from time to time. But your body is cleansed. Spiritually, Jesus is saying, if you've had that radical new cleansing, if you've been born by water of the Spirit, if you're like the Lady of Samaria and you've come to Jesus and received the living water and you've been cleansed, there's no need to have that cleansing again. But as we walk around this sinful world, our feet do get defiled and we need to be washed from time to time. We need to ask forgiveness and seek God's mercy. Well, Jesus goes on to finish the washing. He puts on his clothes and he returns to his table. And again, the writer to the Hebrews picks up the story and gives us the big picture again. He writes in chapter 1, After he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. See how these writers take up what Jesus is saying and gives us the heavenly picture of what Jesus is actually doing. Well, that's Jesus' example. Let's move on now to uh, the challenge that Jesus gives 
us as his servants. And you'll see that in the second part of verse 12. Jesus says to the disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? Oh, they knew. They knew all right. In Luke's account of the same meal, uh, Luke writes this, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. They knew what Jesus was doing to them. Here on the eve of the crucifixion, when Jesus is about to give his life as a ransom for many, they're arguing about who's the greatest. It wasn't Muhammad Ali who coined the term. The disciples 2,000 years ago were arguing the same thing. You see, usually when there was no servant in a house, uh, the first guest would be the one who'd take the towel and wash the feet when the others arrived. But in the disciples' situation, when they came in, they were in no mood to do that. And so no one wanted the towel. They all wanted the throne. And when Jesus said, you know what I've done to you, they knew. So he challenges them. Have a look at verses 13 through to 16. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In my first year of ministry, I was uh, assistant to a parish in the western suburbs, uh, to a minister there who was really good to work with and to learn from. And often we'd meet after a, a service or a, a youth group meeting, just chat about things and how they were going. I was in charge of the youth group and uh, I'd been pretty pleased with myself. We'd started off small and we'd grown. And we'd grown not just in numbers, in maturity, and we were beginning to give people the, the opportunity to serve in the church in the morning as well as youth group on a Friday night. Uh, and uh, the talks were good, the discussion was great. My minister took me aside one evening and he pointed out these positive things. And then he said, look, I noticed that you don't help with the washing up or the sweeping of the floor afterwards. Bang, it was like a hammer hitting me in the head. He was right. I wanted the throne. I didn't want the towel. For Jesus' disciples, it means using the towel. We're to wash one another's feet and not just expect our own to be washed. And it begins in the church. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. The context here is Christian to Christian. It begins with our wives, our spouses. It means washing the feet of our children, washing the feet of the person we don't know, washing the feet of the person we don't want to know. These are the feet, Jesus says, are to be washed. In our church, there's lots of opportunities for service, aren't there? We've seen the partners up here today, and we've got a partnership course coming up. Cleaning, mowing, teaching, assisting, teaching uh, scripture at school, singing, playing instruments, preparing morning tea, making meals, visiting the sick. There's just so many things we can do. The challenge is there, isn't it? Don't just leave it to others. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't just leave it to others. If you're a Christian, take up the challenge yourself. Talk to you about partnership. Write it down on your little card afterwards. How do I get involved in this church and take on that vision of seeing every home in Oran Park one for Jesus? 
Do the course. Commit yourself to serving others. You know, as we wash one another's feet, it has a day-to-day cleansing of the body of Christ. It's interesting the way it works. We're cleansed as a group. We're actually made more holy. And holiness spurs it on to greater love for one another. So it's sort of this, this vicious cycle. As we become holier, then love increases, and people who come to our church are drawn in. Remember, the writers say they'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. People will see us and long to be part of our group because of the love of Jesus reflected in the way we treat each other. Let me finish with verse 17. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's great, isn't it? You'll be blessed. You'll be happy in the service that you do. Humble service leads to happiness. You'll feel good about the things that you do. The truth is we don't need another sermon on how to do it. We just need to do it. Look at Jesus' example. Listen to his challenge. But above all, You've got to have the heart, haven't you? Look at these words again. Having loved those of his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. As you commit yourself to life in this church, are you those who are going to love others in this church to the end? Pour out yourself for them? That's the challenge before us today. Jesus leaves us with. My God richly bless us as we seek to serve each other in this church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge that Jesus gave his disciples and to us. Help us to use our time and talents and wealth to serve you and each other in this place. Amen.